Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the upcoming. Doctors, lawyers, entrepreneurs, it doesn't matter. We're here to talk about all the best and the brightest as they make their way to their dream careers. I'm your host, Jonathan Carr. Join me as we have a spectacular conversation with an equally spectacular person. You ready? Let's go. Hello, world, and welcome to The Upcoming, the perfect place to catch the best and brightest on their way to the top. Joining me now for The Upcoming's 15th episode, straight from Maryland to New York, is a man of many talents, not even at NYU, and already he is the founder of Art Film, showcasing his movies, honors, and experience. He has worked with Story Syndicate, Plus 8 TV, and has even served as an astrophysics communicator with the one and only NASA. Let's put that in mind, NASA. And I am thrilled to bring him on. Ladies and gentlemen, the science extraordinaire, ethereal director, and man of ambition, Amog Tucker. How's it going, Amog? It's going well. That was a very, very uh, nice intro. <laughs> maybe maybe a little too nice, uh, but, I'm, but I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, all right. Thank you, man. Thank you. So, Amog... One thing that the upcoming always does is we like to hear from the guests themselves. So, Hamog, in your own words, like introduce yourself to us. Who and what exactly are you? Absolutely. So, yeah, my name is Amog. Um, I would probably consider myself an astrophysicist filmmaker, I guess. Um, actually, aspiring astrophysicist filmmaker. Um, I have absolutely no authority to call myself an astrophysicist right now i'm still in undergrad um so that's probably like the the name or the i guess the job title that i give myself but but really when it comes down to it um i'm a science storyteller so i tell stories about different science um and and communicating science to the public um just through storytelling because that's the best way uh to communicate the stuff so um, that's my my job title, I guess. Uh, going into maybe some of my work and all that, um, I've done a good amount in the film industry. I grew up um, kind of really into that. I have parents who are in the uh, medical industry uh, who also wanted me and my brother to come to the medical industry, but we were like, no, we're not going to do that. Um, and I ended up kind of really getting involved with film. I ended up interning for a bunch of places around where I grew up in Maryland, around DC. Um, and I really got into National Geographic and Discovery. And then when I got to college here, I really honed in on the whole science part. Like I am, I love, you know, filmmaking. I love making stuff. And I grew up making a lot of films. I think I, I probably reached around a hundred films by, by the end of high school. Um, but I was really, really into science as well. So go to school and learn all this like, science stuff i'd take a crop in science courses um and then i would in the afternoon i'd go to my internship and make films with like gordon ramsay or something so it'd be a really really cool interesting it was interesting life but it was fragmented it wasn't uh, solidified into one one thing so when i got to college i was like okay i can combine these two um and that, that's when i ended up you know going to apple tv and to netflix um and writing for for shows on there and doing yeah like science it's basically just science writing science communication there and, and that's really combined too it's like okay i am a filmmaker but i use science i communicate i make films about science <laughs> and and i'm super interested in space science especially um now i do apologize for probably the background noise i am in new york city so it's gonna be there no matter what <laughs> don't even don't even worry about it man i can hardly hear a thing and i'm sure people listening probably can't either so you're like we're good in the background noise but I am curious because I did um, remember reading, I believe it said that you um, were making films all the way back in middle school, I believe. So like, what were some of the, what were some of the things about filmmaking that were like the hardest for you, like just starting out? Absolutely. Most of it was confidence going into films. I didn't want to present my films anywhere. It was kind of like, okay, I made it and it's going to sit in the drawer. <laughs> it's not going to go anywhere because it's not good. Um, so that was probably one of the biggest hurdles just to actually go out there and present your films and get your work out there because I cannot 
emphasize how important that is to get your work out there and to let people see it no matter how terrible it is. Um, and I could definitely go back to some middle school work and say that was absolutely terrible. And um, But I showed it to people still and I eventually kind of got the confidence to be like, okay, this is the best I can do right now. <laughs> That's okay. Um, so that was probably one of the biggest hurdles and obviously learning everything from the ground up. Um, I guess what's not a fully developed brain was probably a little difficult, but it was good because it kind of got ingrained in my growing up experience. So like this, the filmmaking and editing uh, workflow is like so ingrained into everything I do now. It's kind of, it's kind of weird. Um, so I'd say the, those two were probably the biggest difficulties was just learning the stuff and then presenting it. Yeah, definitely. Because it's all, you agree, it's all about confidence, really. Just getting your foot in the door, just reaching out to people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I am. I want to ask you another thing about your filmmaking life because I've seen you dive um, just from looking at um, your website, artfilm.us. I saw you dive into both fiction and nonfiction. So, which one? really would you consider the most like fun to dive into or the most like uh yeah just what's, which which genre is the most fun to you in fiction or nonfiction? yeah so yeah as i said i i kind of grew up as just a filmmaker it wasn't necessarily a science filmmaker so yeah i made a lot of fiction stuff i made um now to me i kind of the goal is to combine uh, the two um probably the most enticing to me is fictional stories that use accurate science so that is super, super interesting to me. For me, it's documentaries are really fun and they have like a, a beautiful, their own charm. Um, but I think fictional to me is probably a little bit more fun. Maybe that's just because I make less of those now. So it really depends on the time period of my life that I think uh, would influence that decision. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And I do agree documentaries are wonderful because it can be so fascinating and just so encapsulating really it's like uh you watch uh you ever watch like vice documentaries like yeah that? of course yeah that vice yeah is, that, that vice fox yeah vice fox, and box yes those those are good too do some fantastic mm-hmm. ones or even just like the like nature documentaries with david attenborough those mm-hmm. are, those yeah are really i fun. so i actually worked on a nature documentary uh when i got here to new york first semester yeah, that was a pretty cool experience. Yeah, I remember. Um, um, yeah. By any chance, was it the one um, between, like the I think it was called the Pine Line? Uh, we the one yeah. about trees. So that was a short form uh, nature documentary. This the one that I worked on was for Apple TV, and it was a long form, uh, multi series nature documentary. But Walking the Pine Line was actually at something called the Jackson Wad Media Lab which was this really, really awesome opportunity I undertook uh, again in, in freshman year, for first semester freshman year, basically where uh, Jackson Wild, which is a conference and, and film festival, they picked 16 filmmakers around the world to come out to Jackson, Wyoming and go through this 10-day intensive uh, filmmaking experience, basically like science filmmaking, especially experience. And they paired us up with like a local somebody in the local area who needed a needed a film and we had like four or five days to create a film me and uh four other or three other people um in in our group and it was freaking amazing like it was it was awesome it's like some of the probably the best 10 days of my life um and we just kind of got to go out there and just use all this like cool equipment and we eventually ended up presenting the films that we created uh, at the actual film festival itself. So in front of like all these crazy executives, um, a lot of people, and it was, it was pretty awesome. So, so the walking the pine line is from there. Uh, but I was working on development for actually a, yeah, a show that was pitched to Apple TV. I hadn't, I ended up moving on to another project after that. So I, I didn't fully know what happened. My guess is that they it would be probably pretty expensive to do the idea that we had. So my guess was that Apple TV was like, this is cool, but we're going to wait until we want to fund it, <laughs> I guess. Um, that, that's my guess for where that went. But yeah. Uh, yeah. I'd, honestly, it just sounds like a lot of fun. Just getting to be out there in nature, getting to 
um, working on just film such beautiful landscapes because I've always see me I'm a huge nature lover so mm-hmm. it's I would have loved to be on that 10-day experience as well yeah absolutely I am also a huge nature lover in fact uh, this past summer I spent three weeks basically by myself in the mountains um, just backpacking and kind of coming around <laughs> figuring out uh, trying not to get lost and uh, getting attacked by a moose as well. So, Ooh, yeah. Was, yeah, campers, hikers, like, please, if you see a moose, stay away from it. This moose. I would also recommend the same. And if it does come to you like it did at 3 a.m. for me while I was in my tent, um, make a lot of noise. <laughs> uh, that was, that's, that's the only, if it hadn't already stomped out your face, make a lot of noise. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Moves are dangerous people. Don't let any movies or anything fool you. Um, so let's just um, keep going a little bit, Moog. So, you know, everyone has their own way of creating. And when you do so, even after something is released, do you still think like, oh, there's more I want to do with it? Or do you just, are you just content with how it looks? Do you just let it be? Oh, yeah, no, I'm never content with how it is. <laughs> I don't think there's a single film that I've created that I've been like, actually, there have been a few here and there, um, but almost every film I create, uh, after I like submit it to a film festival or submit it to like a client or something, um, it's always like I probably sh- could have done more or should have done this. Uh, but again, then again, that's like a natural thing. It's not something that I'm gonna react to. It's something that I'm just like, yeah, I'm gonna take that in in mind for my future film. Like that's a good idea. I should probably. I will take that forward now, but I'm not going to, I'm going to freak out about it. Are you all like, let's say a perfectionist or anything? Yeah, I think, I think a good amount of directors are perfectionists. <laughs> um, you know, I tried to have it not impact my work too much, but um, I think it's a great thing, honestly. <laughs> like I'm, I'm appreciative that I'm a perfectionist <laughs> when it comes to these things. Cause it's like, yeah, that's how you make a good film. You got to make it, perfect there's a lot of films being made out there if you get you got to make yours perfect um in a lot of ways but obviously that's not to sacrifice uh your health or your well-being in any way (laughs) um there's a balance definitely to be sought after there Uh, yeah definitely because it's just you know some people like definitely are agree there's a lot of great people who are just like not resting like literally not resting until they see their vision just fully realized and there's others who are just like you know what this looks good this looks good right here let's keep going with this and it's just it's so just really just makes you think about the just the diversity and just the differences and how people like perceive their projects because i myself um suffer kind of from that need to make more as well but i think ultimately where do you even when you're still having that like idea how much does it kind of like i can't imagine it's kind of still like you got you're still fighting back a lot of like um doubts maybe is is it still just go always go back to confidence sure like uh do you mean when you think of the idea is there a lot of doubt that an idea will actually come to fruition or not not even that just like as you're doing it as you're like Mm -hmm. creating it and you're just still like and you're just getting hit with like, oh, wait, what if this goes here instead of there? Or like, what if maybe I need to work more on this part? And it just. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, well, let me use the last film I created as an example. Now, the, the idea of perfectionism versus kind of being okay with whatever, um, I think it really depends on the project you're doing. If it's something that like, okay, this is my fifth video for this client, I have to create like 30 more. Uh, I'm not going to like care that much about <laughs> if it's like the perfect video or not, but if it's like something for NASA that will go out to like millions of people, I'm going to make sure that is a perfect video. So um, the, one of the last videos I worked on was a NASA film. Um, and throughout the process I was doing, I was, I was doing a, kind of a take on the idea that was very different than how NASA usually does it and especially very different than how the team that I was working with specifically did it. So when I pitched the idea for the first time, uh, there was a lot of like, hmm, maybe like, I'm not sure that's going to work. Uh, but I felt very strongly that this is the best way to do this, this story specifically. 
So I went full force with it. I like kind of ignored everyone else. I was just like, I'm going to do it guys. And that definitely was, was probably, uh, I know I, I feel like I'm disgruntled my coworkers. Some of my coworkers, most of my coworkers were like, that's a cool idea. It's gonna be hard to do, but if you can do it, that's a cool idea. So they weren't like, discouraging anyway. They're very encouraging, but warning. Um, but anyways, it definitely took a lot of kind of like, I reconsidered a lot of times. It's like, maybe it would be nicer just to do the simpler method. Um, but again, yeah, it totally comes down just to the faith in the original vision and that confidence and that faith comes from doing films over and over again and getting confident in the fact that if you actually stick to your vision, then a good result will come out. Right? If you have had that, that uh, experience in the past where you have stuck to your, your, your guts and maybe in a lower stake situation, uh, stuck to your, your original vision and things have turned out correctly uh, to your original vision and then you know, people react to it well, um, then you now have that confidence to go forward. And you can say, okay, this has happened before. There's no reason this shouldn't happen again. So um, yes, it comes down to confidence and repetition and experience um, for having confidence in an idea. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I have to I have to talk about this because you mentioned, and I, I mentioned, and you just mentioned working for NASA. I mean, NASA, that's insane. And you've also worked for, I know, Discovery and for Netflix. You know, when you step into such monumental environments, like how do you map out your climb to success there? How do you plan out your, um, like just the way you're going to walk out and just be like, I freaking conquered that company or that organization. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a lot of, you know, uh, intricacies that like internships and stuff. I had a lot of experience doing internships in high school. So I knew how I should act and I should work, I guess, or at least what the expectation is. So once you know the expectation is, you know also what exceeds expectations. Um, going into Apple TV, or I, I say, so when I say Apple TV and Netflix, I worked for companies that were making productions for Apple TV and Netflix. So I, although I did deal with Apple TV and Netflix, like people, um, I was working for Lucky 8 TV and Story Syndicate, um, both of which are pretty well known for our demos as well. But um, so at Apple TV and uh, for the Netflix production, I felt pretty at home. It was in New York and um, the people were, it was intense. It was certainly a very, very, you know, it was your classic film producers who are going to, you know, get on your, get on your ass and be like, you got to do this at this time and high intensity and pitches to like really high intensity people. Like my, one of my bosses was Dan Kogan. He was a Oscar winner. Um, so definitely like really, really cool people and people that you want to impress. Um, but then, you know, it all comes down to, okay, you're, it just comes down to your work, I guess. Like I was so wrapped up in the actual stuff that I was doing that I didn't really care about like how I was perceived or, or like what I was doing. I was like, okay, like I'm, I'm having fun doing this. Like I, I didn't care about anything else. Um, I was just having a lot of fun writing things. Um, now when I got to NASA, um, that was really a point in my life where it, I was already in a very stressful uh, time. And it was a time where um, there was just a lot of things going on. So I got to NASA, maybe not in the, perfect mindset going in but um i still think that i kind of exited nasa and i'm and i'm and i'm satisfied with how i did and that comes down to nasa was a totally you know a different ball game for me um especially because it's a it's a more science place um obviously rather than a filmmaking place um so different types of people completely uh when you're dealing with filmmakers and all that's a lot more creative a lot more kind of like um yeah i would say nasa was far more relaxed than the the uh, story syndicate or any other places, but there's certainly you know the people there are freakishly smart, and um, to kind of go in there and be an intern uh, and like you know be surrounded by John Mather who like is a Nobel laureate <laughs> or some of the other astrophysicists there who are you know, beyond who have discovered planets and yeah, you know, studied history. black holes, made history. Yeah, it's certainly intimidating. But then again, it was my dream place to be. 
I was making astrophysics films for NASA. So I was just like, this is cool. I love this. Like I'm enjoying this heavily. Um, there's no reason to stress out about how many perceived or not. Um, and I'm sure there's definitely a lot of people who perceive me as like an absolute asshole <laughs> kind of going throughout and like trying to film things while they were doing their experiments. Um, but it doesn't matter. I was, I was having a fun time. And I think that's what, that's what it comes down to. It's like, okay, if you really are passionate and really like to do your stuff, then um, it's, it's a, it's a fun time no matter what. Now that's not to say that there, there's will be many, many times. Like I have had so many times that I've, absolutely despise filmmaking and absolutely despise astrophysics communication i'm like why am i here like why am i doing this shit this is so annoying um but i think there's an equal amount of times even like huge periods of my life where i'm just like no this is awesome like i'm so glad i'm doing this um so definitely not a clear-cut path in any way yeah wow that is a really interesting story and you know i understand that just being able to call a place like nasa like it's your dream place and just being able to just just be able to just take your first steps through the doors of such a big place and i noticed you you're even wearing the nasa cap right now so you've just yeah they need too much merch to how to like with what i know what to do at this point so <laughs> if anyone needs like free stickers or something you can email me <laughs> yeah but hey you know what you've fully embraced like just the life there of just science and being able to eventually make history yourself because i understand one of your dreams is to be able to like fly up to mars and like film a docuseries there is that true <laughs> so yes to become an astronaut filmmaker um which is a pretty simple idea really it's just to start film stuff in space <laughs> or i guess the ideal circumstance would be to film the first mars landing as it happens now obviously i would be doing being a mission specialist and being an astrophysicist um, and kind of like side, you know, being like, Hey, let's make a little, let's make a film out of this. Cause that'd be really cool. Um, now that's actually huge. I don't think people understand how important it is and how, and these companies like, like NASA and um, you know, most science organizations certainly do understand the importance of this, but for science communication, and for inspiring the next generation and for making the public, you know, uh, understand what's going on here and what NASA's doing and what, um, you know, other companies are doing. So there's certainly going to be a need for it. It's just a matter of, uh, am I going to be there when they're looking for it? Um, or am I going to be able to make that, that job <laughs> be a thing? NASA? So, um, yeah, so that's certainly one of my goals is to become an astronaut filmmaker, preferably on Mars. Yeah. Would you consider that to be like reaching your peak, or is that just like a, a like just an, one of the peaks? Like, do you even no, have it's a, a peak? That's like a, it's like what, like 30, 34, 35 or so. Uh, once I'm once I'm past that, then there's like a whole other road. Um, that's like more of a milestone. I feel like. Um, but do you? Even, there's also yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but do you even yeah. want to have a peak? Do you want to have a point in your life where you just like say I made it, or do you want to just never stop? just keep going um yeah i don't think i really thought about peaks i guess um yeah i guess it would be nice to not have a peak i guess there's always but there's peaks in different areas so i don't i'm not sure if it's even fair to say that you have a peak in a certain area if i am an astronaut filmmaker and i get to that place then that's great i, I probably peaked in my astronaut filmmaking career <laughs> but then there's also the fact that i'm interested in entrepreneurship and business and I'm an astronaut filmmaker. I certainly have not peaked in astro in entrepreneurship. So then there's that peak as well. So I, I don't think, um, yeah, peaks are probably the best way to to measure that. I guess. So yeah, I don't think I would want to have a peak. Hmm. Hey, so I want to talk about astrophysics for a little bit. Absolutely. So, yeah. You know, you've been studying it for a long time and being able to see how other people, you know, analyze and try to work it out what are some as somebody who has never studied one page of astrophysics in his life as i'm sure mm -hmm. many people haven't either what are some tediums in studying the subject that people don't talk about enough you think mm, that's interesting now i do want to mention that 
I am just a sophomore, so I haven't really been studying this for too long. Um, but I have, I guess, seen a lot of people studying it, um, as in at NASA and at different places. Like, um, so for me, um, one of the things to just keep in mind, especially between filmmaking and astrophysics, because it's it's like total. I mean, it's kind of different worlds. There's a lot of similarities. Um, surprisingly but it is like very very different like if i'm studying physics and general relativity um it's it's very different than than sort of telling the big thing that i would probably say is just how much we don't know there's been so many times that i've been in class and i ask a question about something and the professor's just like yeah we just don't know man (laughs) like i'm i'm sorry (laughs) like like this is this is why you guys are studying this is because we don't know so much about the universe and just about everything that's going on um that's probably one tedium where you're kind of you're kind of working with like you know we have done a lot and we've done especially recently i mean we've done so much that our human brains are are pretty cool especially for their their limitations for, for understanding all this stuff like that's awesome <laughs> but there's still so much we don't understand so that's definitely one kind of roadblock it's just just the you know the yeah like the industry itself of astrophysics is or i guess the science itself is so is so utterly large and infinite that you know we may never be hard. able we may we may never be able to fully flesh it out absolutely so it's that's one thing you got to keep in mind, I guess, when studying stuff. But hey, I'm doing like getting my physics and stuff down right now, so maybe uh, I'll have a different answer in a couple of years when I'm in grad school or something like that. Yeah, but already you're making an incredible start to this. I know going to be rigorous but rewarding journey, hundred percent. And so, you know, a lot of people I know are turned off by science due to the complexity of it all. And yet Mm -hmm. you made that one of your life studies. Uh, You know, how do you navigate through the complexity and multiple layers that is science itself? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So I approached it in a pretty kind of like solidified way. I said, okay, I understand this is very hard. So I'm going to go down to the core of what this all is and go make sure I have the basics really, really nicely down. And that way, when I get into higher level astrophysics and higher level um, studies like that, then I have my basis very down. So it's not going to be something that is going to be difficult or super difficult. So I went into heavily actually uh, mathematics and the philosophy of science, especially. Um, So NYU has a phenomenal philosophy department and there's one Professor uh, Michael Stravins, who is a leader in science and science philosophy. So I took his course and really made sure I was reading up a lot about the science of philosophy or the philosophy of science um, and made sure I got like the whole idea of how science actually works. What is it? Um, And how is stuff organized? You know, why does it matter? Why is it so unique? Um, And once you kind of understand that, then you understand a lot more about the actual science ideas. And the other thing was to really nail down mathematics because obviously it's super important when it comes to physics and astrophysics. So definitely in high school, you know, took my calc, A, B, B, C, APs and did physics as well in high school. Made sure I got all that stuff down and then, um, you know, got here and did my higher level mathematics and stuff. And uh, so once I kind of got those down, I'm, I'm really making sure that I'm getting the basis covered and i'm uh, very very solid there before i'm going to go on to quantum mechanics um or, or so so i think that's super important um but but again you know i might have a different answer once i get more take take a lot more physics classes and astrophysics classes yeah yeah, yeah definitely but uh, let's um take a little step away from uh, studies and everything of it all and let's move mm-hmm. on to uh, film so i remember you and me talking uh prior to this episode about all different um films that are out there like uh something as extraordinary and creatively thought of like primer which primer mm-hmm. if you don't know is um well any film that was made uh 
Do you remember when that was made? I'm I'm trying right now. Let me it's see. Prime, but... Let's see here. Prime. I hear it is prime. Okay, so it was around 2004. 2004. So it's an mm-hmm. old film, and it was made under like a seven thousand dollar budget. So real small. And we compared that to the likes of Moonfall starring Halle Berry with a <laughs> massive budget. Now, mm-hmm. Primer, we will, will claim because it was just so thought of and it used like, you know, some interesting scientific ideas to perform time travel. And Moonfall, it's practically no facts at all. And it's about the moon like skidding right past the Earth. And we both agreed that if the moon got any bit closer to the Earth, we would see some really major and not great changes so amo as you kind of explore the science fiction genre again pardon the airplanes i hate being by an airport um but mm-hmm. in any case um but when you kind of explore the um science fiction um realm of film when does it shift from being like going from science fiction to just fiction Hmm. Uh, probably like the science advisors they have <laughs> um, or I guess how involved their science advisors are a lot of these movies probably do have science advisors I I guess feel bad for the science advisor who's probably on Moonfall um, I'm sure they had their objections but I don't think the creatives were, were listening to that so um, probably that's where a lot of the power lies and between science and science fiction but I mean, science fiction is a, is a really broad subject. Um, like I would say most science fiction is more heavily on the fiction side. So maybe if you're trying to go for like realistic sci-fi, that's a whole other thing, like hard sci-fi. Um, that's probably the category that you're looking for when it comes to like very realistic, very accurate science. Like Interstellar was, was pretty well done science-wise. Um, obviously The Martian is great. There, there's a good handful of movies that have their science really nicely done. Yeah, but um, and I hope I hope to contribute to some of those movies as well, and hope to be a director behind some accurate science movies because I think we need a lot of those. Yeah, but you know, it's just you can't help you can't ignore the kind of stereotype that is in science fiction. Like when science fiction people think aliens and spaceships and like teleportation and like time mm-hmm. travel. How do they do this? They're just like. Who cares? They're able to do it. Quantum something. Yeah. <laughs> quantum realms, quantum <laughs> physics, like with old Ant-Man, the wasp sort of thing. It's just like, mm-hmm. like you can't explain, like, I don't know how science could explain, like these people are just able to shrink down to microscopic level and still be able to lift people a thousand times their size off the ground. It's yeah. But yeah. but maybe there's just the but since science is so like can be so ambiguous and so like complex, maybe I guess that's just where people decided, you know what, let's make it into sort of like a over the top sort of thing. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't think there's necessarily a, a big harm in like, uh, I mean, the super inaccurate science is not good, but if you're kind of teetering on the edge, like I Star Trek, Star Wars, you know, they weren't necessarily hyper accurate science but super cool stuff and they got a lot of people into space and a lot of people like one of the uh, big things i did was at nasa was to talk to a lot of people about what got them into astrophysics or what got them into uh whatever science field they're in because nasa is definitely not just astrophysicists um and a lot of the answers were either star trek star wars or the moon landing so um yeah, so I think there's a lot of great examples about like maybe not necessarily realistic sci-fi still inspiring a lot of people um, when it comes to science, which I think is important. Just just know, people, that I don't think we'll be able to have our ships go light speed and reach other miraculously inhabitable planets anytime soon. That will take a while. Anytime soon, yeah, it'll probably, probably take a bit. Yeah, <laughs> it'll, it'll, it'll take some time. It'll take some time. We're 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 getting there. It's just a bit slow but mm-hmm. now i kind of want to dive into you as a filmmaker um amo because mm-hmm. uh touring through your um website art film i noticed one interesting since we're talking about science you know realistic science there's one uh a couple of interesting uh films i want to talk about but one of them was 
on your t- um, explanation of retroviruses, specifically ERBW, mm-hmm. and you gave a thorough... In- I'm sorry, are you going to say something? So, yeah, so HERV, uh, maybe for people who haven't watched the video, HERVs are human endogenous retroviruses, and they're basically the part of your DNA that actually comes from viruses. So, you know, a long time ago, ancient viruses embedded themselves into your DNA, or they embedded their own DNA into your, your DNA, and that really stuck with us. So, um, you know, you're probably thinking, okay, that's kind of weird. Like there's just like some foreign DNA that's part of our human DNA. Um, but our body has, has a lot of times actually used those sequences to help us out because these sequences code for certain proteins and our body's like, oh, that's a cool protein that, you know, is kind of new. Um, let me see if we can use it somewhere. So there are, you know, some great aspects to that. So HERV W specifically, um, codes for i think a protein called syncytin which helps create the placenta in a mother's womb which is really cool um now i don't know if it was herb herb w specifically but other other human endogenous retroviruses they uh you know have been linked to multiple sclerosis or some of the things that you mentioned um and that's still a very active area of research so i'm not sure we can say anything for certain there um but I talked to some experts while talking about this or when researching this and they were researching, they were, they were actually trying to convince me that uh, multiple sclerosis or, or things uh, or herbs do uh, impact multiple sclerosis. They were kind of like still figuring it out. So it wasn't, uh, it was very interesting that whole experience. Yeah. And thanks for that explanation there, Mo, because I got to tell you, I don't think, especially in education, we hear this really talked about enough. Like, I remember taking an anatomy and physiology class and talking about DNA and RNA, and I had never really heard this, like, heard, like, just these retroviruses talked about enough because, you know, there's is a lot of, like, fascinating facts about them. And while some of it might be good, some of it might be bad, it's still, like, something we could all do well to be aware of. So, Amo, like, where do you see the failures in, like, spreading awareness to such things so more people could, you know, just be on the lookout for it and maybe we can even, like, be protected? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, failures when it comes to science communication, um, there's certainly a lot of great examples. But, um, I mean, probably starting with our education system, sure, if there's a lot of... There's a lot of phenomenal teachers, and I grew up with really great teachers that I'm so grateful for. Um, but I think just how our education system is based is maybe not the best way for for people. Uh, I can I, I know quite a few people that were really kind of say screwed over by the, by um, the standardization of the education system and they're brilliant people. They're people who could change the world in every single way, but we're bogged down so much just by how college works or how we have to, you know, do certain standardized things and how one sort of formula is put to everyone. Um, those are pretty classic, you know, complaints for the edu- education system, but that's one thing for sure. Um, I, I think, I think there's some work to be done there. But I think another um, interesting case study is definitely COVID. I mean, um, there was a lot of really great science communicators behind that. I'm not, you know, hating on them, and they had an incredibly, incredibly difficult task to do. Um, but I wonder, I wonder if there was maybe a more storytelling based method when it came to spreading awareness for covid um that could be a very interesting like i guess mock thought experiments or i guess uh test to do maybe to post or i guess we're not really post pandemic yet but pandemic fizzling out period making maybe something that's like storytelling driven about covid um that's on a much larger scale that's like everyone's gonna see maybe part of the government or something I wonder how that would, that could have maybe impacted, um, like, I guess, rates of infection um, 
yeah so th- that's cer- certainly an interesting i think covid will be a very very interesting case study i, I might actually do that now that's a that's a good idea <laughs> yeah do it man do it mm-hmm. so yeah it's definitely a case of covid and it's just kind of kind of ba- it's kind of baffling, isn't it? Just how the narrative of certain things can just be so split. Like with some even like denying that something like COVID can even be real. And with others like giving scientific proof, like this is absolutely real. And there are scientists yeah. working day and night to build a vaccine for it. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's important to note that no matter the proof is not going to um, if you're giving someone who is completely in denial of um, of COVID just straight proof that you know COVID is real or like kind of numbers or facts, it's not going to help them. It's just it's like the innate way of their mind. That's that's it's just how their mind works. So you have to really change who they are, uh, not really what they know, to change some of these things. And that's a really really intense task to do in a film. Um, but some films can do it really well i think especially i think narratives can do that very very well so potential there for, for a lot of change yeah i see i see so there's that on filmmaking now i want to talk a little bit more about you amo because you are the founder of art film you know it's your own uh, portfolio of your films your work and experience your honors and you've also if I Rick, you're also the founder of, I believe it was called uh, Youth Project, was it? Uh, yeah, the Youth Project. Um, now that's actually morphing into something else now. Uh, I'm actually undertaking a really, really cool project very soon um, that will involve a lot of, basically, a lot of like spreading storytelling and filmmaking. Um, or kind of, it's almost an experiment in a way um, to see how different cultures and different people from different walks of life and different areas in the world react to being given a camera and a video camera specifically to have the ability to make films and just see what happens uh, see how curiosity can take the lead so that is something that is that's what the youth project is kind of forming into now uh, but more details on that that was just a, um, a I would say like a non-profit where I just kind of made some that's where my weird ideas went <laughs> like kind of like really fun in San Diego's like we had you know like a kind of like a TED style event we had a big restaurant we actually held like a restaurant for a couple of years in a row like a big cookout where we just had a bunch of fundraising for um for like different projects and especially for the homeless in DC um I'm not really claiming that we did anything crazy <laughs> but we did probably make a lot of people's days um, in the homeless community in, in DC, which I think is is a lot. Um, yeah, so that's just some some general background of that. Yeah, yeah, but I love that because you know the joy in filmmaking that you found for yourself. You wanted to give that to others. You know, you want. Oh yeah, absolutely. Pass that, like, kind of pass that torch down, create a whole new generation, and just be able to give people opportunity because you know there's just so much to love about that, you know? And I, I also wanted to talk more about uh, things like that, because with that and art film, and I heard you even started a business or at least tried to start a business in the second grade. Is that true? I read that. In the, uh... <laughs> I'm guessing you saw that on my NYU article that was released recently. Yeah. Um, NYU released an extraordinarily flattering article about my accomplishments and what I had, what I've been doing. Saying starting a business in grade is maybe an overstatement. What I had done was I noticed a lot of people, uh, there was a, a really skewed version of how second graders interpreted uh, like the value of things. So I noticed that we like, as, as second graders, people loved money, like physical money, right? Like ones or $2 or like $1 bills, but they didn't see the value in their own food and a lot of the stuff they owned, um, to them, a $1 bill is worth far more than their like $20, like whatever, like probably like upwards of like a hundred dollar backpack filled with like all their stuff in it. Uh, they like the $1 is like way more valuable. So I would like hold 
very often like <laughs> competitions <laughs> where I would be like, I'm gonna give you like three dollars, <laughs> and people would like come to their like for like many days in a row, like their entire lunches, and like <laughs> it was actually really funny. Uh, so I'm not sure if you call that a business. I didn't I didn't file for an LLC or anything, so that's probably a an overstatement. Um, this this is the exact story that I, I they NYU interviewed me, and this is the story that I told them. So I guess they interpret that interpreted that as starting a business in, in second grade. Um, yeah, so I, if you want to call that a business, then all means go for it. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, but it also shows that you have like that sort of entrepreneurial like spirit to you. You know, you like to create, not just like with film and everything, you like to sort of expand. And that got me just, that got me really thinking, you know, entrepreneurial spirit in you is incredibly strong, but just how has all of this like affected you in your everyday life, just stepping away from work? How has this sort of drive to create and has like just built you as a, as, as a person? Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've been spending a lot of time in meditation, uh, a lot of time in, in kind of self-reflection. So I've, I've noticed some of these patterns that have kind of been undertaking. And one of the patterns that I think comes from, from that mindset is to really go above and beyond in a lot of things that we do. So no matter what it is, if it's making uh, a birthday cake for your friends or just hanging out with someone, you know, I think the habit pattern is for me to go above and beyond. So for example, we moved in recently to our new like dorm apartment um, with my friends or with my, with my sweetmates. And, you know, one of the things is like this, I, I love design and I love creating things, right? So how do we go above and beyond and make this dorm the coolest dorm at NYU? <laughs> so, you know, going through and like decorating a crap ton and making things look really, really cool. You know, that's probably some ways that manifests. I think it just makes um, just that spirit of going above and beyond and then, and then having the practice creativity. And I say practice because I think create, creativity is something you can practice and get better at. Um, so I think the storytelling and same thing with a lot of things, everything basically. Um, that combined with the creativity can can really make life more fun and interesting. Um, yeah. So that's why how it manifests in my daily life is just being able to go above and beyond in every situation that I'm placed in. Um, obviously selectively because you can't really go above and beyond in everything. Otherwise, you're going to be taxed on time. And so reaching down to my final question, you know, I saw a... I watched an interview with the legendary Chris Hadfield and people who don't know Chris Hadfield is this brilliant uh, Canadian uh, astronaut. And um, he was, he said something really interesting. He said uh, the challenge that we set for each other and the way we rise to meet that challenge is life. And I think of you when I hear this quote, Amog, like, and so my question is this, is there a challenge that you want to meet like throughout your life is like there is basically is there a challenge internal or external that you don't want to see met like just yet that you just want like want to have like seen throughout like your life like is there just yeah like a very long-term goal yeah certainly um there's a lot of external things you can wish for like being an astronaut filmmaker something that's very external i'd say winning an oscar is external um, even becoming like a billionaire or a trillionaire is external. I think one of the consistent goals that I want to have is to have peace of mind. And, um, and that goes along with being compassionate and being a good person. <laughs> like, like, you know, and I, I, I hate to kind of say that because I feel like that implies that there's some ego and being a good person like you want to be a good person but i think just kind of like realizing that uh everyone's just kind of a human and uh including yourself and there's no you know reason to think more of yourself or um in that way and kind of like you know spending time meditating and realizing these things and doing that just keep a consistent peace of mind where you're not in a neurotic stage 
um, it's going to be a pretty consistent goal. <laughs> and you know what? Sometimes that can get really hard. So, um, yeah. So, again, when I say peace of mind, it means more than just having a stable mind. It means um, living in a set of morals and ethics that is consistent with who you are and I guess who you want to be as well. Yeah. So at the end of the day, it's just really never losing sight of yourself. Just absolutely, and and also even and you know that's not not to say that it, I guarantee there's gonna be many times in my life where I'm gonna lose sight of myself completely. <laughs> um, but importantly, to come back to your to your sense of self, and um, and that involves helping other people and making sure that you know you're not a nuisance on the world. I feel like that's a good goal to have to not be a nuisance on the world. <laughs> Mm, yeah, really well. So yeah, just having not just that self-love, but that love for others and that compassion, it's definitely going to get you a long ways in. All right, folks. So thank you so much for that answer, uh, that answer, Amog. And that is it for episode 15 of the upcoming. I just want to give another big thank you to my guest, uh, Amog Tucker. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being a great interviewer. Um, and I look forward to seeing keep in contact with you and you know, keep things going i appreciate that i appreciate that you know thank you man thank you so all right folks so be sure to stay tuned next week for episode 16 of the upcoming and be sure to continue to follow us on spotify for more amazing content also be sure to follow the up- upcoming on instagram at the underscore upcoming podcast and we'll be sure to give you all the latest updates on who's going to be on the next episodes and who's already available so you can check them out we've got a fantastic roster of incredible guests who um agreed to be on the show and you're gonna love these people folks they are some extremely talented extremely bright folks i've been i've had the privilege of interviewing but uh that aside like i said that concludes our episode 15 so be sure to watch up we'll be sure to have this up our episodes are up on Sundays at 7 p.m. Eastern time. So see you next week and good night. Thank you for tuning in to the upcoming. If you like this, please sure to follow us on Spotify for more amazing content. The best is yet to come. Take care, everybody.